I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome back to the Stat Monday Football Podcast. This is episode 59 slash episode 56. Unfortunately, we had to put both together because I had a little bit of a birthday on Thursday, decided to take the day off and then Friday was absolutely mental. So in fact, we're on Saturday right now and we're going to drop a big fat podcast. First up, we're going to do the news. Then we're going to talk about the Champions League with Nico Omorales on Twitter. Go and follow him, Nico underscore Omorales. Then talk about the Europa League, Celta Vigo versus Manchester United, Ajax versus Lyon. And finish up, of course, with your questions. Thanks again for sending those in. But first up, of course, it is uh, Friday. Well, it's supposed to be Friday. It's supposed to be Friday's podcast but it's being recorded on a Saturday so we're going to have to obviously check out the iTunes reviews I hope you've uh, sent them in um, because otherwise I'll be pretty pretty sad so guys we've got some reviews in we've got nine in fact thank you this is making me very very happy after a fantastic birthday week Um, so we've got a number of your reviews in coming from uh, the chubby lad uh, Colossus um, Ali Big D um, Kent Chapman and of course Shane Pay, but unfortunately, review of the week is going to come from Ali Big D. I don't know what the Big D stands for? I'm not too sure about that. But the review is titled "Boom Ting." Nice one, well played, proper tidy, lots of love. XOXOXO. So thanks a lot for Ali Big D for sending that review in. Five stars as well. Top stuff. Remember, if you want to send a review in to be comment of the week um, or review of the week, should I say, get onto iTunes and drop those reviews because, of course, it makes me very happy inside. And then the podcast is a lot better for you guys, not just me. Anyway, no, I think it's time. It's time to get this party started. I'm going to have a birthday party this evening, so if you are in London, uh, come to Hackney Wick around half past nine. Um, we're going to go to Crate, have a few beers. Um, yeah, so if you want to come down, I'll see you there. Anyway, it's time to do the news. So first up in good news over in Syria, Suleiman Tari's ban for leaving the pitch due to being racially abused has been overturned. Good stuff, finally, from the Italian FA that had a real stinker um, around that whole issue and really need to eradicate that sort of tomfoolery and stupidity by fans in Syria. And there needs to be some harsher bans for me. There needs to be some stadiums closed. There needs to be these fans banned for life. They need to take extreme measures because at the moment in Syria, racism is a disgusting, disgusting problem. In other news, Seamus Coleman has signed a new five-year deal at Everton. Pretty much that'll be the rest of his career, let's say so. You know, a real, um, you know, Everton stalwart, real Everton, you know, moving on to that bracket of becoming the next Leighton Baines. Um, but, you know, a fantastic servant for Everton football. 
Football Club, and a few years back was one considered one of the best fullbacks in the Premier League. Moving on, Ryan Bart. <laughs> I've done it again. Mark Bartra is back in training after the BBB boss attack, um, which is fantastic news. You know, very horrible scenes there for a terrorism that was committed through to, you know, financial gain, which is very strange in this world. Surely you just need to go out there, get a job, work hard, instead of blowing up a flaming bus, you idiot. In other news, apparently Lionel Messi has rejected the Barcelona's opening contract offer, sparking rumours of moves to Manchester City, Manchester United, Juventus, uh, Real Madrid. No, I'm just making that up. But no, apparently he's, he's rejected the opening contract, but I imagine that to be signed and sealed because Lionel Messi... Uh, you know, loves it at Barcelona. He's a one-club man. In other news, Manchester City have been hit by the transfer ban of signing academy players. Naughty, naughty stuff from Manchester City trying to sign two players under the correct age, one in fact being 11 years old. Now they've got a two-year ban on signing academy players, similar to Liverpool. Some poor, poor play from them in terms of a... You know, you're looking at the bigger picture. These lads are young. That you know, the influence that these two big clubs will have on these players, you know, it's it's just a little bit wrong and, you know, there is the rules for the reason. But anyway, in other news, it was my birthday this week. Um, and a guy that I used to work with at Squawker called Nick English, if you want to go and follow him on, on Twitter, his handle is at Nick W English. So basically, have you seen this one like for one ridiculous fact about your club? He did one like for one ridiculous fact about Dave. So there were some absolute bangers in there. Um, you know, go and check them out. I was honestly... I, I, I was creasing myself when he was doing this. I was on the train to, to go and play football. Uh, seven aside, I played quite well, actually. Played centre-back, did, did very well. Um, but there's some good facts in there. For example, Dave's five-a-side nickname is Shadow. Uh, maybe I'll do a little video on my YouTube channel over the summer when I get a little bit bored of making football transfer videos. I'm just going to go through this uh, this thread and make a little bit laugh. But it's it's great. I'll, it's a link to my uh, Twitter account. Um, so go and check it out. I'm go, Obviously, go and give Nick a follow. He's a, he's a top guy. Uh, went to his wedding last year. Great friend. So, yeah, go and check him out on it's a, it's a fantastic thread from a top, top fella. Anyway, let's move on to the Champions League chat with Nico O. Morales. A very, very interesting game tactically, Nico. We had a little bit of a discussion pre-podcast. What shape were Juventus playing? Uh, this is where you and I seem to differ. Um, but I think we agree at the same time. And that's sort of what the Juventus system is. It's a hybrid. Um, it, it's sort of a, a mix between a four-back and a three-back. Dani Alves was, is such a big part of that system. The way that he gets forward, the way that he came inside at times and switched with Bala Dybala. Um, but obviously with, with a, with a, you know, a left back, or sorry, a right back or a wing back getting that far forward so many times. And, you know, you don't want to expose yourself on the counter to the likes of a, of a, of a Monaco that can, uh, really expose you with, uh, with Falcao and, and, uh, Kylian Mbappe, of course. Barzagli sort of slid across and played sort of a, a right back, center back type of role. So it was, it was, it was a hybrid formation, but I think, um, you know, one of the most important things that I highlighted in, in a new video that you guys should all go check out on the front three, um, was, the the role of those sort of two wide players in Alexandro and uh, Danny Alves is that the, their their positioning really sort of put the four four two in a pickle and it either drew the opposing left back or right back out um, which allowed you know space for Mandzukic, Dybala, and Gonzalo Guain to uh, to attack. Monaco center backs directly, um, or you know Thomas Lamar and 
and the the right-sided midfielder um, Silva were were drawn back, and and Marilyn Pjanic and Marquisio were given a bit more time and, and space on the ball, so they were allowed to pick passes to that central midfield area. Uh, another thing that I just want to hit on real quick before you get going um, is is uh, the fact that you know this wasn't a blowout by Juventus. A lot of people are hailing it as the supreme defensive performance, and while they did stop a lot of uh, Monaco's chances, obviously I think you, you've touched on a number of times on a number of different podcasts that. Monaco are, are, I think they're scoring on an average of three goals a game, right? Uh, officially, at the moment, it's two point nine. Before it was two point nine, it's just dropped down. Right, so they, so it's just dropped down. But um, if we look at uh, a metric, my, one of my favorite metrics in, in expected goals, you know, they did have chances. They did have solid chances. It's just um, Juventus did finish their chances uh, much, much better. But, you know, it has to be said, uh, Juventus's defenders did, did a pretty good job, especially in the second half, of sort of adjusting to killing Mbappe instead of letting him get to the ball and, and him, you know, weave in between those spaces and him, you know, really try to attack uh, the slower central defenders a little bit quicker. Um, the, 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 the formation changed and, and they got him to him much earlier and didn't really allow him uh, much time to breathe and, and do what he wanted on the ball. But I'm interested to hear on what you thought the shape was and, and sort of what Juventus did well. Well, I think, for, I think they started off in a 4-4-2. I think it was a 4-4-2. I think the interesting part was when they had the ball, they did switch to, it looked a little bit like a 3-5-2 with um, you know Marquisio dropping a little bit deeper, Pjanic sort of playing centrally, and then uh, Dybala supplementing that midfield, Mandzukic joining um, Gonzalo Higuain up front. And of course, Alexandro pushing up a lot more than Barzagli. I think it was what sort of Conte spoke about the fluidity of football, especially his side at the European Championships, that was a 3-4-3, but did look like a 4-4-2 in defence. I think it's this Italian thing this, that we're seeing with a lot of their coaches that they do look like multiple formations in one, and that's kind of the beauty of it, that they look like one formation in attack, one formation in defence. As I mentioned on the preview, the way to attack this Monaco team is quite centrally. Because you can overload those two deep central midfielders, you know, the wide players do drop back into to a flat four, but you can create an overload in that area. And that's kind of what Juve did when they had the ball. They did switch to that 3-5-2, which did create a, a 3v2 in the centre of the park. So I wouldn't necessarily it would say it was a 3-5-2, but I'd also wouldn't necessarily say it was a 4-4-2. It was this fluid hybrid that is the new football. This is where it's going. You know, Chiellini definitely wasn't playing as a left centre-back. You know, he was a centre-back. If you look at his positioning throughout the, the game, it is more central. It is next to Benucci. Barzagli a bit shifted further out. And Sandro is a hell of a lot deeper than Dani Alves. Dani Alves, we've seen him um, play a similar system with Dani Alves. I think it was uh, the, the round before where Dani Alves was played as a winger ahead of Lichsteiner. It is a little bit more defensive because, of course, Allegri is realising that you're dealing with two of the best strikers in world football this season in Falcao and Mbappe. So instead of going for that aggressive, um, you know, sort of perfect game merchant in Lichtsteiner. He's gone with a, a player that has played centre-back for Juve over the last few seasons in Barzagli. So I think it was sort of playing a defensive right full-back, allowing Dani Alves to attack, which he did so, so well. You know, it was an incredible display from Dani Alves. God, Barcelona must be thinking, what the hell they, they, they wanted to do to let this guy go to assists, but contributed so much in an attacking and a defensive sense. But I also think it allowed the two forwards to stay up and it wasn't Mandzukic. I think Mandzukic did play quite a disciplined role on the left-hand side. With Mandzukic in this Juventus system, he does stay very wide and then gets into the penalty area. And again, if you look, if you, you know, you freeze frame it, it was almost like this back six. I consistently talk about Nico as the future of world football. And you just can keep this in the green. And, you know, Juventus are going to win the Champions League, Nico, with this system. A back six, Dave. The, 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 um... 
insult to, to modern football and, and attacking football. Yeah, that's that's the future, certainly. <laughs> well, I think we're seeing that it's negated two of the best attacks in world football this season. Barcelona failed to score a goal um, in both legs, I do believe. And of course, Juve keeping uh, Monaco to not scoring a goal. I think the how it pivots round and Mandzukic does look like a left left wing back at times the the left back tucks in and then if it's on the other side Dani Alves will drop back Barzagli will tuck in I think it's beautiful it is a thing of beauty and I think that Juventus would have missed Sami Kadira, but Marquisio and Pjanic did a great job in central midfield we've seen a lot more from Pjanic in a defensive sense um, in recent weeks you know you think of his performances uh, in Serie A he's been dropping a lot of tackles and again uh, against Monaco four tackles um, you know an interception a clearance he, he did quite well in a defensive sense and it's part of his game that he's really worked on under um, Allegri and Allegri coming out t- today saying he's one of the top three central midfielders in world football Nico do you believe Allegri? Uh, in the in the sense that Mirlan Pjanic is is elite, yes, I think he's fantastic, and I think um, it's also a, a sort of a testament to his coaching, uh, what he's been able to do with the the players like Pjanic. I think if he goes anywhere else, you know, he's given that the, the other managers play into the to the ego of the players and say, you know, I'm only going to play you in an attacking role, and I'll let you do whatever you want. Whereas Allegri demands everything out of his players: defensive work, offensive work. You know, the, the, everything that the game encompasses is something that you you must excel at um, if you want to be in, a, in an Allegri team. And I think that's what makes their team so excellent. You know, shutting out this Monaco team that has scored against pretty much everyone, shutting out a Barcelona team that was absolutely incredible in the second leg against PSG and is, is capable of pretty much anything. I mean, this is a team that, that like I like I wrote about, is, is so fluid in their ability to, to shut down the best attacking threats in world football. You know, that that's not just down to, oh, you know, these, these central defenders are fantastic or, oh, Danny Alves or Alexandra are fantastic. It's a team effort. It's all these players buying into one idea. So, you know, just as, as, a, as a testament to his coaching, you know, it's fantastic. I think one of the things in a statistical point of view that what's quite interesting about the Juve team, if you look at their stats across the season, there's no real standout players. You know, you look at, um, for example, the Serie A um, co- you know, comparison against the likes of Napoli. You know, they've got the players that have created the most chances, scored the most goals, got the most assists, but they're not top of the league. You know, you go to the tackle department, no Juventus player in sight. Again, you go to, you know, for example, interceptions, no Juventus player in sight. But why is this team top of the league? Because it's a team, because it's a fluid organism together. It is what, where football is going, that they can play so many faces. You know, at the end, he did go to a, he definitely went to a five at the back at the end with four in midfield and one up top, because that's what he does. He transitions that, he brings on the likes of uh, Lamina, he brings on Rincon to really shore it up. And I think it's, it's, a beauty, it's a thing of beauty. It's like this, however you called it, Nico, in terms of the pragmatism, what the, your great article on, on it, what did you name it as? Neo-pragmatism, was it? Uh, that was that was the working title, but I actually um, came up, you know, in Italian, uh, shapeshifter is mutaforma. That's that's uh, shapeshifter in Italian. So I, that's w- the, the word I sort of used to describe Allegri and his system there. So if you want to use that, you're more than welcome to. <laughs> hmm, maybe we'll use that. Maybe we'll come up with a new concept. I mean, I think you, you want to come up with a new concept because you probably can't pronounce the yeah, word. Yeah, that's but. the problem, Nico, that my lack of pronunciation technique will mean that I won't be able to say that crazy word you just said. So maybe we'll stick to neo-pragmatism. I like that. I like that. New pragmatism. You know, they can attack, they can defend, they can counter. We saw how well they broke. Were you impressed with, you know, Fabinho and Bakayoko have been sort of the stars of this Monaco team this season, but I found against Juventus they were just a bit overawed in a way. They, they didn't really 
have that same effect in terms of aggression? Do you think Bakayoko's injury was a, you know, mentally stopped him going into the same number of tackles that he usually would? Yeah, there, there's definitely an element of that. But, um, you know, like I said, and, and like you alluded to as well, it, it's one of those things where that that midfield was almost completely bypassed by the by the excellent distribution of Benucci as well as you know Pjanic and Marquisio at times um and, and sort of Dybala occupying that space between the two banks of four um or at least the the space between the I guess the central four of Bakioko Fabinho and then the two central defenders so uh, as much as they tried to get into the game even if he was at full fitness I think this is one of those you know tactical things where if you're if you're not big and strong you can be smart and that's where tactics really come into play. You can you can outsmart anyone. You can outplay anyone, regardless of your physical ability. And certainly, Pianic and Marquisio don't line up physically with the likes of Bakioko and and Fabinho. And that's what we we saw against Manchester City is these these older players being dominated by these new guys, and rightly so. You know they should be. But if you take a, a tactical approach to it, like Allegri often has, you know. He he brings out the best in his players, and he look, he makes Bakayoko and, and Fabinho look like you know uh, planks of wood, basic barriers as I like to call it. So Nico, you're saying that managers actually mean something in world football. That's interesting because there's been a lot of trends this season, especially on Twitter, that saying managers mean nothing. It's just about the players. But I think what we've seen with Juventus and Real Madrid taking absolute control of their ties with the managers making big big calls. You think of the Real Madrid diamond at the start, transitioning to the f- the five four one. Um, sorry, the four-five-one to see the game out. Managers are starting to be. I think they'll start to be regarded again as the key men in the. You know, turning someone like Gonzalo Higuain to more of a worker. You know, at Napoli, he did sit on the. You know, he didn't really contribute defensively. He's not contributing a lot defensively for this Juventus team. But we're seeing him track back. We're seeing him join Dybala and sort of creating this four-four-two deep in the, the uh, Juventus half. There is some work there in terms of Allegri. In terms of Zidane. Who do you think is going to win the final there? Right now, if we say both those teams are going through, who's winning it for you? I would really hope that it's Allegri because I think it's, it's I don't know, I'll liken it to a, um, to a classroom situation. You know, the kid that does all his work versus the kid that's maybe given an opportunity or an advantage above the other. But I think Zidane's actually done some some pretty brilliant tactical things that I'm sure we'll, we'll get onto when we review um, – Real Madrid versus Atletico Madrid, but I think I would really like to see this Juventus team win win it because if not, you know, like you said, there's this is it's almost you can liken it to sort of the ego versus the id and say you know like you said there's not many Juventus players that are in the top statistic, pure statistical or base statistical charts you know not most tackles not the most assists not the most goals not the most anything really besides Gonzalo Gonzalo Higuain and I think he's actually decreased on his output but that doesn't matter it's about the team and, and you know we can progress our analysis we can progress the mainstream analysis from going like to, to where we praise these individual players and, and sort of praise the unit in, instead of that and I think it would be sort of a moral victory for analysis if I'm gonna if I'm gonna take it in that direction so I'd really like to see Allegri win it um the, the difficulty within that is that you know the Champions League final is a one game tie and anything can happen you know lucky goals crazy goals and, and that's what's unfortunate is that I, I don't often think it best represents the best team but I really hope it's Allegri Mm, you see, I'm going the other way now. I want Zidane to win it because people are not respecting Zinedine Zidane as a manager. They think he's fallen into this team of stars and he's not done anything. He's not developed them tactically because, quite frankly, for me, he's probably one of the best tacticians in world football as well as being one of the best managers of players. You know, you think of that dressing room. Getting Cristiano Ronaldo to, you know, to 
you know, defend in a tactical way or lead the side going forward, you know, it's a challenge. Managing players like James Rodriguez kept that very quiet. You know, he's kept him quiet. James Rodriguez could have thrown his toys out the pram. Zidane has sat there and dealt with it very well, saying, you know, James is going to have his time this year. He's going to have his. He's going to have an impact in one of these games. Um, and I think we we saw that against Barcelona, the big goal that he scored in NL Clasico. So it's one of these things where. I love Allegri, and at the start of the year, I was championing him. Before anyone else was, Nico, I was championing Allegri. I'm going to just say that right now, because it's my birthday, and I'm allowed to say things like that to make me sound like an absolute weapon, <laughs> but I was championing before, now I'm going to champion Zidane, because I think he doesn't get the credit he deserves. I've given my thoughts on the, the game, Real Madrid versus Atletico Madrid, you know, yesterday. What was your main takeaway tactically from the game? Um, I, I, You know, Real Madrid just... They, they seem to come across the, the they seem to be in the right place at the right time in a lot of situations but I think this is one of those times where they just tactically outclassed Atletico you know they were purposely attacking uh, sort of uh, Atletico's left hand side because they knew Luis was going to be the more attacking minded uh, left back and they knew there was going to be deficiencies there Isco occupied those half spaces and linked up with Carhalal extremely well in, in the first half and they were able to enjoy a lot of success down that because that that was a that was a targeted weakness in the Atletico team, and there's not many of those considering how defensively solid that they've been. So you know, I I don't have I, you know you can't really speak highly enough for what Zidane has. It's it's difficult. It's one of those things where it's difficult to improve upon a team that's already excellent. I think he's done that. You know, using the likes of what is seemingly uh, an, an unbalanced midfield and, and sort of not. Not a purely defensive Tony Cruz and and an offensive Luka Modric as well as an Isco and then thrown in a Casemiro to make you know the perfect balance of a midfield is that that could overrun that Atletico um, system is is you know credit to his management and I think uh, that was one of the things I was more impressed with I think Ronaldo's off ball movement was incredible um, Benzema even though he wasn't in the game much the way he dragged those Atletico defenders in and out of position just. By by being you know positionally uh, uh, I, I guess turned on to the situation is 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 all credit to I think things that are done on the training ground. So I think you're right. Zidane does deserve a lot of credit, and so those are the some of the things I was I was most impressed with. But obviously, you know, our previous player of the season is 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 one, was once again you know fantastic performance from him. He almost makes uh, better passing decisions than I think most central midfielders. Marcelo was absolutely fantastic. That, that pass to Benzema for the, the second goal was incredible. What a pass that was. And I think he's more of a left winger in this side. And I think the, the problem tactically that I, that I brought up with Simeone's side is that playing these central midfielders so deep across the pitch meant that Atletico's press was redundant. And unfortunately, Simeone didn't have an answer to that. Simeone also had uh, no answer to Real Madrid defending quite narrow and, and you know closing the space that Atletico usually like thriving. You know, we spoke at the weekend about, or on Monday, sorry, about how Atletico did so well playing narrow. The likes of Gaetan uh, moving in when Antoine Griezmann vacated that space. Atletico just didn't mind. They let they let the players drop deep. They held their position and they shut the space where. Atletico is so dangerous and also, you know, the Simeone change was to bring on players, uh, you know, too early in my opinion. It was it was too much and they went from that 4-4-2 to pretty much a 4-2-4. Real Madrid hit them on the counter-attack, game over. And I think that Simeone, again, as much as I love him, he's been caught out by Zinedine Zidane every single game this season. Is there anything he can do in that second leg, Nico, to, to get back or is it all over? 
I think you have to go back to the traditional and maybe try to attack wide because I was, like you said, I was so I was surprised with how well they defended centrally. I mean, that's an extremely difficult thing to do, especially against a team that seeks to do that. Um, and so, especially as well as Atletico do. So I think maybe if there is a way back in, it can be from the wide areas. You know, Marcelo does like to get forward. Maybe you can catch him out. Um, Carhaval does like to get forward. Maybe you can catch him out as well. So, so maybe getting those crosses in, I, I think um, one of the, coolest things that I've come to learn about and sort of study uh, from a footballing perspective is how different you can or how effective you can make your, your crossing patterns, you know, instead of crossing it into a box filled with players where that sort of that sort of header, that sort of chance is never going to come off. One thing that Letico do very well is is sort of their ability to. Uh, cr- increase the efficiency of their crossing situations by you know it, it's almost like a set play it, you know a, a player goes wide and and th- they make certain movements that tell a certain player centrally that they're going to be making a cross and they start that run immediately it's like a it's it's like a, a, set, a set play like I said sort of in in like in basketball so I think it, that's sort of the way in for Atletico and then if they can shore things up defensively not get so moved around by Real Madrid not get so moved around by the passing of Tony Cruz and Luka Modric and the movement of Isco um, that's really the way back in but you know three goals is an extremely difficult thing to overcome especially against this Real Madrid side so it's going to be a really tough fight for Atletico to get back in this. I think the one thing that did surprise me was the use of Lucas Hernandez at um, you know right back when when Thomas Partey came on at the weekend did so well going forward created a goal scored a goal I think he is going to have to play from the start if Juan Fran is out um, and it looks like he is going to be out so I'd play uh, Thomas at that right back area and I think they've got to attack down those flanks I think what Real Madrid do so well is get their wing backs or full backs high that's exactly what Simeone needs to do to stretch the pitch vertically there wasn't enough of that in the game and and Antoine Griezmann as well something I mentioned yesterday was he needs to be able to drift wide he needs to be able to combine with these 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 full backs these wing backs for Atletico to have any chance of getting back a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
into this game. Well, thanks again, Nico, for stopping by and jumping on to the Statman Day Football Podcast. Remember, if you want to go follow him on Twitter, Nico underscore O Morales. Now... It's time for the biggest tournament in world football, and that is the Europa League. Celta Vigo versus Manchester United. A game which finished one goal to nil to uh, the Red Devils away from home, but arguably could have been a lot more. United, again, missing so many chances. I'd probably work that out as it. it should have been 5 0 to Manchester United. Jess Lingard missing two massive opportunities. Rashford missing um, a pretty decent chance. Mikatarian not scoring a 1v1. It's just the same thing with United that it seems that like every time that they're through on goal, they give the keeper too much opportunity to save it. It's too close to the keeper. They need to be picking out these corners. One of the ones was a volley inside the box from Jess Lingard, and he just side-footed at the keeper. You know, go with your laces, go with the, you know, go for the corners. If you miss it and it goes just over the top corner, you know, I'm not going to be too worried. But if it's straight at the goalkeeper, it's one of those things that's very, very frustrating. But of course, the man at the moment that saved the day once again for Manchester United. What impact he's had in his career. Won United games against Arsenal, Manchester City, um, you know, the, the quarterfinal against Anderlecht with a fantastic goal. And now we're seeing the semi-final. Marcus Rashford again coming out with a massive, brilliant free kick. And again, he won the free kick. And I think that's the big thing that's so important about Marcus Rashford and how good he is. That he seems to create chances for himself at will and it's it's a real good thing to have um, you know he's played in two sides that aren't really geared to play on the, play on the attack in a way Lou Van Gaal's possession based system and Mourinho's counter attacking based system but Rashford's ability to create something out of nothing for himself is incredible go back to the City goal last season the nutmeg um, on Dean Michaelis that ended Dean Michaelis' career but against Celta Vigo, you know, there was three or four opportunities he created for himself. Brilliant little footwork, you know, gone. Uh, the first one was he was on the left wing. Lovely bit of footwork, checked inside, stood his man up, still went onto that right foot, cut in, and a fantastic save from the Celta Vigo keeper. You know, later in the game, um, created another chance for himself just before he won the free kick, and obviously bagged that free kick. The free kick's so similar to David Beckham's last free kick for Manchester United. It's, it's incredible. You know, that same uh, going the keeper's side and whipping it away from the goalkeeper. It was a brilliant free kick, and credit to Marcus Rashford, who Mourinho said after the game has been practising after training for 30 minutes on his free kick. So credit to a young player that hopefully can go very, very far. In terms of, uh, you know, what we said before, best young players in the world, him and Mbappe are definitely standouts right now um, in terms of strikers but I think with Marcus Rashford what I, what I like so much about it is you hear this work after training you hear that he's spending this extra hours you hear that he loves the club you hear that he loves football it's all this real positivity around him as a human being which again is massively important you think of the best players that aren't messy that isn't gifted so much with talent it all goes through hard work some of the best players at Manchester United have been pure hard work through their career Cristiano Ronaldo the best finisher in world football. It's all been hard work. And if Marcus Rashford can, you know, use these players as inspiration to get where they want to go, you know, players like Darren Fletcher, who went massi- massively above his, his potential of, of ability and just because he worked so hard on the training field and you could see that improvement. Players like John O'Shea as well, massively above because they worked hard and they practised and they practised and they practised. Marcus Rashford appears to be the same and that is fantastic for Manchester United. How much is he worth if he's not a United for them to sign? What, 80 million? You know what I mean? It's an incredible, incredible player, but it is about him creating himself. And he was fantastic against Celta Vigo and just been so important. So, so, so important for Manchester United in this, you know, this run to, to get to the Champions League. Anyways, game by numbers against Celta Vigo. One free kick, obviously scored it. Two key passes, three shots, five dribbles and won 100% of his tackles. Really carrying United attack in this Europa League run. Moving on to other little talking points, of course, we're going to talk about Paul Pogba. Another fantastic game in the Europa League. Seems to have really found his feet in this tournament. A little less pressure um, and seems to be playing with freedom and, and ability. You know, the amount of times he was, uh, you know, beating players 1v1 
one dribbling past them was very, very impressive. He completed more dribbles against Celta Vigo than any other player on the pitch. Five, in fact, and he completed 100% of them, which was absolutely incredible. Again, it was just an all-round performance. He intercepted, he cleared, he tackled, he, he created, he shot. You know, it was, it was a fantastic performance. His heat map really showed his overall game getting around the pitch, playing, you know, deeper in midfield with uh, Ander Herrera. Fellaini did move um, to attack in midfield at the start and then drop back, which is the next sort of guy I want to talk about, Maron Fellaini, who has a role in this United squad. You know, I hate when I tweet out Maron Fellaini's game by numbers and you know, they're impressive for what he wants to do. Maran Fellaini in that game was to play the, the, the Raul Garcia role, and he did that. You know, out of his um, aerial duels, he won eight of them. 67%. It was perfect. You know, cleared the ball, made fouls, made tackles. That's exactly what you wanted, Maran Fellaini. You know, I commend Casemiro for fouling people because he does it at the right time. I commend him. He's the best defensive midfielder in world football. Why are we so critical of Maran Fellaini when he defends? I don't mind that, you know, with Maran Fellaini, he is this aggressive player, and that's fine. You know, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna criticize him for his passing. It isn't great. You know, it's it lacks tempo. It lacks um, direction. But in terms of what he does well, tackling, clearing, being an aggressive, being an being an annoyance to the opposition, he's been doing that very very well this season. Has been playing. You know, the position whichever Mourinho's assigned him, whether it's defending the def- the, the two centre backs or in this game linking with the front the front three players. Again, it was quite a, a lightweight front three: Mkhitaryan, Rashford, and, and Lingard. Maron Flaney's just sheer physicality was needed in there to go long to, to find the balls to obviously with Salta Vigo pressing United playing those long balls to Maron Flaney to get United higher at the pitch and it was perfect and again United fans need to start respecting Maron Flaney anyway, I did joke about him being United, United captain on the full time Devils debate which was fantastic go and check that it was, a, it, was a, it was so much fun to do you know it was jesting I don't think Maron Flaney should be Manchester United captain at all but he's a weapon Use at the right time, a perfect player to have in your squad. That's the big thing about win- winning league titles. Maran Fellaini will be very, very important in winning the league title because he's a good, good squad player. Forget that. Forget the days. You know, remember the days when Darren Fletcher wasn't in the, wasn't quite in the first team, but every single time he played against Arsenal, every single time United would win. Remember the time when United won four 0 Fletcher scored twice. This is the type of player Maran Fellaini is going to be a utility weapon, a utility tactical weapon, and you know that is about that for the Europa League game. You know, massive advantage for United should be five six nil up, but unfortunately, just take one goal to Old Trafford. But I, you know, I expect United to hopefully see this one out. You know, an early goal will be cracking. Rest, rest, one hundred percent rest. Marcus Rashford this weekend. He needs a little bit of a rest, and we need him fresh for this uh, Europa League game. That is me speaking as a Manchester United fan. I go with Anthony Martial through the middle. If you want to go and uh, check out my tactical preview. On the United Arsenal game, go and jump over to my YouTube channel. Um, you know, I talk about how they can pull apart Arsenal's three, uh, four, three or three, four. 2-1 as you'd call it and also there's a little premier punt game that I've uh, just been you know got, got a giveaway of a free United shirt and £100 so if you want to jump on there it's free to enter uh, download the premier punt app and obviously enter the code United in capitals to join mine, me, mine and Stephen Housen's league of course um, you know with a chance to win the shirt and the money but anyway let's move on to Ajax versus Leon who well they blew this this tie wide open 4-1 in Amsterdam um, Leon, uh, you know, not the same sort of team you'd say without some real key components missing, and I think that's one of the things with this Leon team that without um, you know the big dogs up front, they're out the big dogs through the middle without without Lacazette. You know, obviously coming off the bench but not starting, not really fit at the moment. They lack a lot. You know, a lot of their attack, a lot of their goals have come through Lacazette. You know, it's thirty plus in the league this season. But again, Ajax were very very impressive. So impressive in the press. You know, this Ajax team. Looks looks very um, good on paper. 
the manager um, Peter Bosch has got them playing some real good football but it's that youth youthfulness of the front three allowing them to press so high you know Eunice Stolberg and, and Traore backed up by that central midfield behind them really allows them to press you know there were two goals that were pretty much turnovers from Leon pressing winning the ball back and then instantly going on the counter as Akinkulo and Diakabi not having the greatest game that centre back Diakabi again I spoke about him before has everything to be a fantastic defender, but at the moment lacks that composure. You know, lacks the Samuel and TT composure. But it was a fantastic performance from Ajax, who are massively in control of this tie. Uh, Zicek, you know, being the man of the match, grabbing a hat trick of assists. You know, it's the first time in the Europa League in like ten years that that's happened, or in even um, you know semi-finals of the Champions League, European competitions. But of course, Kasper Dolberg, currently a star the superstar in the making now 20 goals in all competitions for the Danish youngster that's more than any other Ajax player what a finish for as well you know on the volley fantastic fantastic finish but this Ajax team they come up against Manchester United in the final could give them a very good game I'd like to think that Mourinho could just you know tear apart this youth with dogged pragmatism um, and I think that'll happen you know if Ajax are going to press United United will just do what they did against Spurs go long play it don't don't let Spurs you know get out, get in your players and press and nick the ball sit back counter attack with the pace of Marcus Rashford it's fine but anyway Ajax very very impressive it's a shame about Leon. shame about Lacazette dropping down at a real key point of the season anyway guys that's enough for the Europa League let's move on to your questions so first up, given that Spurs did play on Friday night and lost 1-0 to West Ham, pretty much putting them out of the title race, giving the title to Chelsea, I'm going to start by talking about Spurs. So Mr. Walker Porter, that's asked at Mr. Walker Porter on Twitter, asked, um, has bottling it lost its meaning since uh, it's a new word for every analyst, broadcaster, journalist um, has learnt this week? Yeah, I agree, bottling it just now, we need a new word. It's like time and time again. We need a new phrase for that as well, because that's just everywhere at the moment. But I, I kind of agree. I don't, I don't, I think that it has definitely lost its meaning, and it's, you know, it's, it's down to me, uh, down to the community um, of an analysts, of broadcasters, as journalists, you know, to learn more words. I think I'm going to buy one of those. Um, you know, you get those calendars that have like a word of the day. Maybe I'll do it on the podcast. Like word of the day today is lemons you know whatever it will be but hopefully they'll be a little bit more descriptive because I can't use lemons in describing footballers but yeah I might get a little calendar uh, the girlfriend's done very very well this week an excellent performance um, in terms of presents it's been a, a fantastic birthday one of the best in years um, you know, I've got a garlic crusher you know you, you laugh but you know getting on at 27 now a garlic crusher is a cracking present some darts um, you know a cheeky little Xbox One which was a lot of fun uh, but the best thing was she got me um, I, I keep all my t- I kept all my tickets from like, every game I go to I keep all my tickets and I kept them in like a box and not really done anything with them and what she did is she put them in a frame and it's absolutely you know it's very emotional when I got that frame uh, open that one up because it's it's got a lot of like really happy memories of my life um, you know going to um, Leipzig going to watch United versus Liverpool got the one you know right in front of me the uh, the game in 2010 Berbatov scored a hat-trick you know they got the game against Arsenal where um, United played Raphael Fabio um, and uh, John O'Shea and Darren Fletcher in midfield 1-2-0 you know, it's a, an absolute cracking present but yeah uh, going back to the thing yeah, Spurs um, the word definitely has gone but Spurs did you know, they've lost the title race now. In terms of being bottlers, in quotation marks, they've not really bottled it because they never really had the league. They were never really in a commanding position top of the league. They've got the sixth highest wage bill. Their top earners only getting £110,000 a week. Tottenham are doing an incredible, credible thing right now. David Levy, Pochettino deserve a lot of credit. 
So thanks for Mr. Walker Porter's question on Twitter. Thank you know, good little discussion there and a massive tangent on birthday presents. But anyway, let's move on to Connor's question. Um, that's at Connorito on Twitter. Um, can Spurs add more quality to their team in the summer or is their main job holding on to players they already have? The main job is holding on to players they already have. Unfortunately, it's like Monaco. It's like Borussia Dortmund a few years ago. It's all about keeping on to the talent that they have um, because they've got great players in their first 11. Their first 11 is arguably the best in the Premier League. But the problem is the depth off the bench, the impact, and how to get that development there. Obviously, Carl Walker looks like he's going to be off, so you know, either promoting Kieran Trippier and starting him every week as your right-back could be the option, but he was dropped, well, not dropped, he was rotated out for Carl Walker on Friday night, so maybe there's some room there to get a new right-back, right-wing-back. Right um, but it mainly is keeping the likes of Christian Eriksen's had a fantastic season. Um, you know, the likes of uh, Deli Ali, Harry Kane, any of the defenders, Vertonghen, Adavireld, uh, Eric Dyer, who's, you know, watched the North London derby back midweek, um, and the, Eric Dyer's like a ability on the ball, his ability to tactically react to certain situations. Spurs do play with a 4-2-3-1, but they drop back and do look a lot of the time like a 3 um, you know, almost a 3-4-3, wing-backs push on, Ericsson drops into midfield, next to the central midfielder, uh, Dyer splits the centre-backs, or quite a lot as well goes to the left, goes to the right. It's just so fluid and so brilliant from Pochettino, but it is all about keeping their main chaps. Moving on to Gusham 4's question on Twitter, at Gusham 4 who'd be the better signing for United, Rafa Varane or Jose Jimenez? Both excellent defenders, I think... Jose Jimenez would suit Mourinho a little bit more, a little bit more physical, a little bit more aggressive, wrap around better on the cover, better as a, a you know a cover defender. Both of them would be perfect for United, to be quite honest. I'd probably prefer to get Varane over Jimenez. Jimenez had a slight injury problem this year, and obviously United defenders, you know, we need players that can consistently play 30 games a season. The last little bit of his question as well, how good is Bellotti? Bellotti is incredible, 25 goals this season, but... We're not going to talk about Bellotti because we're going to do a, a video midweek about Bellotti. Uh, we're going to do a little scout report. So we're not going to talk about Bellotti. Any questions that you've sent in about Bellotti, they will be answered on maybe Wednesday or Thursday whenever the video comes out. Moving on to Stanny's question. That's at underscore Stanny. If we get to the final, that's Manchester United getting to the Europa League final. Who should start in net? Sidney <sighs> Romero deserves it. And he's got a great song. La, 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 la. Sergio Romero. La, 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 la. It's like the Falcao song, but with Romero. You know, cracking. But yeah, I'll, I'll give it Sergio Romero till the end of the season. Uh, maybe next season as well when David Hare goes off to Real Madrid. Right, let's get some more of your cheeky little questions on the go. So, let's get this uh, question party started. So some more Spurs questions, one we did touch on before. Uh, well, it's not really Spurs questions, it's more Man United taking Spurs players. So at Extreme Don on Twitter, if you could take one player from Spurs, who would it be? It's a real difficult one. I think Deli Alley would be perfect uh, for Manchester United at number 10, Mourinho pressing, but also being that, um, you know sort of, uh, you know, man in the box that's going to score you goals. Uh, Toby Alvilla would be great. Um, either Rose, Walker would be fantastic. Uh, Wanyama, um, Eric Dyer, any of these guys I'd take, absolutely anyone. Quite like to see Wanyama Pogba, central midfielding, that's got some good physicality, as well as Paul Pogba's, um, you know, ability on the ball. But I'd also like to see Eric Dyer in this Man United team. Tactically very, very diverse, and that's exactly what Mourinho likes and, um, you know, likes to do, mix things up, like players to be able to play a number of positions. So it'd be perfect to, you know, nullifying someone playing right back, playing centre back, playing central midfield. So either Wanyama or Eric Dyer at the moment, even though the attacking players are fantastic, Harry Kane at United, it would be, be brilliant. I just want to, it would take all of them and the manager. Yeah, simple as that. 
sort it out, Ed. Um, but anyway, moving on to um, Abdul uh, Samid's question uh, on Twitter at um, Abdul Samid uh, underscore. Who's um, Manchester United's biggest priorities this summer and why? I'd say maybe addressing the centre-back issue. I think that's the big one. We need a player that can consistently play. You know, the stat that I mentioned last week, Nemanja Vidic and Patrice Evra um, missed 15 games in the five seasons that United were dominant in European football. Smalling this, this season has missed 22 games or 23 now. Like, they need the consistency. It's a consistent player that can play every single week at centre-back. And it's a very, 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 very important for Manchester United that consistency at the back is huge. The amount of times that Ferguson had the same back four week in, week out, and they defended together and they defended well. You understand each other's games. There's a lot of relationships there. That's the big thing about defending. You need to know what your partner does, whether it's the partnership between the centre-back and the full-back, the centre-back and the centre-back, or the two centre-backs. You know, all these are very, very important. And then the defensive midfielder ahead, the goalkeeper behind. It's very, very important that set. That's a very good foundation in football. You know, if I had a team, it'd be built from the defence up. You'd sort your defence out, you sort your organisation out, and then you can work on the attacking. Attacking is easy. Attacking is creative. Everyone wants to attack. Defensive, the pragmatism in football is the most difficult for me, um, I feel, in, in, in world football to really teach and really get right. We're seeing managers do it this season so, so well. But thanks for your question, Samid. Moving on to Bax Tom's question, a friend of the show at BaxTom98 on Twitter. Go and give him a follow. He's a top lad from Belgium. Um, so, which uh, clubs in the Premier League should look for a new manager? Um, and if they need uh, need a new one, who and why? So let's just go with your two suggestions. Arsenal first up. Yes, Arsenal Wenger needs to move on. I'd um, get someone fresh in there. Nagelsmann would be perfect. The perfect guy right now, 29 years old, cutting his teeth in the Premier League. Arsenal again would go through transition. Arsenal fans would have to stay off the back of Nagelsmann. But what he's done at Hoffenheim is so good that give him two, three years at Arsenal. What is he, 31? Give him another 10, 41. You know, that would be absolutely incredible. Or if they wanted to go for the right replacement right now, Yardin. But again, Yardin would need time. Again, Yardin worked at Monaco first on the defence, the defensive side of the game. His Monaco team wasn't very good attacking last season. Defensively, they were fantastic. They were uh, low 4-4-1-1 block was brilliant nobody could break it down he's added another striker in now they've gone to a 4-4-2 now they're absolutely murdering teams but again it takes time and that's the bad thing whenever you replace a manager you take time you've got to give him time Marino's only had one season at United needs more term than that and I agree West Ham's love and Bilic needs to go absolute rubbish uh, I'd take the whole manager Marco Silva offer him a big big wage and see what he can do you know maybe even don't even need to offer him that much money you know we've seen the signings at Hull City that he's brought in Nias who's been scoring them goals um, so uh, you know just get Marco Silva to West Ham simple as that moving on to uh, Red Devil uh, DYL's question on Twitter that's at Red Devil DYL L on Twitter. How would Bayern do in the Premier League, considering our crazy schedule between uh, European League Cup games? I think Bayern Munich would win the league. I think they've got a. I think there's teams. I think there's you know maybe four teams or maybe three. Well, three definite. You'd say Barca, Real, and Bayern would all come in and destroy the Premier League. Full stop. They're just the quality of the players, the quality of their squads. Easy, simple as pie. Uh, moving on to uh, Busher 18 question. Who should United buy to replace David Haier in the summer? I've sort of spoke about this before. Experience um, over youth right now. Kasper Schmeichel, Handanovic, pff, why not? I think United need to work on the centre-backs more than a goalkeeper. I'd even keep Sergio Romero uh, with Joel uh, Pereira as a number two, get him some game time because he's you know regarded as a very, very good young Brazilian goalkeeper. Moving on to Amy uh, Baxter's question on Twitter. Uh, will we, Manchester United again, 
still get to buy who we want if we don't qualify for the Champions League. I think we've seen with Paul Pogba, who is the best young central midfielder in world football when we signed him last season. But unfortunately, money talks. Man United still has this great um, you know, thought of a, a fantastic club, but the, the Champions League's big. Europa League will be the way to get there, and hopefully we're going to do that. So thanks for the question, Amy. Moving on to um, Lemzy Designs question on Twitter. Who's your favourite player, and what's the funniest stat about them? That is, that is you know... Favourite player, probably going to be Darren Fletcher. In terms of stats-wise, Darren Fletcher was a, you know, a ball winner, tackles, um, you know, the amount of ground he covered. You know, imagine if you looked at that season, um, you know, the amount of ground he covered would probably be like the, here to uh, Rome or something like that. You know, Manchester to Rome. Let's just pretend that's a stat. Sorry about that. None. No research. Done. Moving on to Justin Thunderlager's question. What a hand. What a, yeah, no name that is. That's at uh, Makunzi9. I think on Twitter probably killed that who's the best defender statistically out of Europe's top six leagues see I'm going to be pretty cheeky um, Europe's top five I know nor top six is a bit of debate with the Eredivisie and the Portuguese league so I'm going to dive into the Portuguese league and I'm going to say Lindelof a player that United have been heavily heavily linked to stats wise the best ball playing centre back outside the top five European leagues only uh, two players both midfielders uh, Pizzi and William Carvalho have completed more passes in the Portuguese league this season than Lindelof how Lindelof uses the ball at centre back is usually quite expansive but still he's completed 90% of those passes and also you know in in ball playing sense you want your ball playing centre back to be able to uh, dribble out from the back he's completed 100% of his dribbles uh, this season so yeah I'd say statistically Lindelof the best ball playing centre back in um, outside Europe's top five leagues, let's say. Um, also, you're looking at someone like Alex Tellas, uh, the Porto fullback, cracking uh, the joint most assists in the Portuguese list, league this season with Gelton, Gelton Martinez, her left back. How many good fullbacks Porto have had? I'll never know. Moving on to at Andaholic's question on Twitter. That's Josh is question. What role do you think Herrera will play next season? Well, I think he'll just be in the team. Whether it is playing as a six, as an eight next to Paul Pogba, depend on what Mourinho does with Paul Pogba. He'll be in the team, I hope. Whether we buy a, you know, an aggressive defensive midfielder, I'd still like to see Herrera there, um, definitely being used. Uh, you know, we've seen how good he is when he gets a run of games and stuff. So, um, yeah, hopefully he'll be as a central midfielder next to Paul Pogba. I think we've got to evaluate other, there's more, you know, bigger issues in the United squad at centre back, as I said before, you know, replacing Zlatan than replacing Ander Herrera. I think Man United central midfield, yeah, it could do with some work, but the more those two play together, like I was saying before, the relationship with the back four, the centre back, centre midfield, the same thing. The more they play together, the better understanding of each other's games. And Herrera this season has been fantastic. Um, you know, man of the ma- man of the month. For, sorry for Manchester United in um, April, fully deserved. You know, think of the performance against Chelsea; deserved it on that alone. But his stats are pretty decent. One goal, three assists, five key passes, 14 interceptions, 14 clearances and 42 tackles in a single month of action. So let's push on. Let's push on, push on, push on. So moving on to at ace underscore is pal's question. Uh, who should be in the line next season next to Bay? Do United need another leader on the pitch? Yes, United massively need another leader on the pitch. Um, who should line up next to Bay? Someone like Lindelof would be good. Um, you know, the ultimate would be Goudino Bonucci. Um, you know, you're looking at Jose Jimenez, Varane. They basically just need someone that's going to play week in, week out. And Lindelof is one that's that's an interesting one. 30 games a season he started, 30 games a season he's finished. He's missed a single game in the league for Port, for Benfica. Sorry, that's going to get assassinated by the Portuguese fans. But yeah, Lindelof could be a very, very good option. Moving on to at Black Shadow 179's question. How did you celebrate your birthday? Well, to be honest, I just chilled out and played 
Xbox and then played seven aside in the evening. I had a meal with my girlfriend at home. It was it was it was a lovely birthday. Very chilled out, which I quite like to be honest. They're having a big party this evening on Saturday. Remember, if you come want to come to Hackney Wick, I'll have a few beers. Moving on to some more questions um, at Villafan28 on Twitter. Will you do any more FM videos? Maybe just at the moment. I just don't have enough time. Um, you know, one man band at the moment. So you know, the production, the the work. You know, it's 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 a it's a lot at the moment. So yeah, maybe in the future. I'd really love playing Football Manager. I've not played it enough this season. Moving on to Kieran Knight question. That's at Kieran Knight eleven on Twitter. Do you think Watford should go forward with uh, Matarazzi or uh, another manager? I think there's a change needed, but Watford, unfortunately, because they're owned um, by the same owners as Udinese and Granada, it's going to be a lot of movement and stuff. I expect him to go again. Moving on to uh, David Borland's question on Twitter. That's at David B twelve ninety seven. Your thoughts on the Scottish League? I'd love the Scottish League to come back in, in prominence in European football. I think Celtic and Rangers have fantastic history. You think of Aberdeen, Hibs, um, and you know the rest of the guys up there. I'd love it to come back, but unfortunately, it's got the same problem as uh, you know, sort of English football, where there's not enough coaches in the game at the moment. The Scottish Scottish League has a tiny amount of UA4A and UA4B coaches, which isn't good enough. So hopefully, they'll get some more of that, and I'd love to see them back. You know, Celtic, great, great club. Brendan, Brendan Rodgers doing brilliant things up north of the border. Moving on to John Garcia, that's John underscore K Garcia's question. How much football do you watch at the weekend? It's about 80, 15 hours for me. Fair play, John. Good work there. At the moment, it's um, it's a little bit less because I watch a lot of football during the week at the moment with the Champions League. You know, it's pretty much a game a day, um, plus uh, whatever else I'm watching, you know, whether I'm doing some research on the North London derby or whatever. So I'm watching a lot of football at the moment during the week. Yeah, the week is weekend, it's, it's usually, you know, two to three games. So whatever that works out on hours, it's it's still a lot of football. Um, moving on to Adam at Adam MCC twenty two thirty. What's what background do you have in statistics? I've done maths and statistical science at university. I was zero point three percent off getting a first. I've messed up my first year because I got really smashed and drunk. Um, got like. I think I averaged like 50-odd percent in the first year. Final year, smashed the first. Was absolutely dominant in my classes. Um but again, you know, oh well. Yeah, so I've uh, got a university degree in stats and I really find stats really interesting. Just a bit of a nerd, unfortunately. Uh, moving on to uh, FC Abdurizak's question. The most overrated and underrated team in Europe's top five leagues. Well, I'm going to shock some people there. I'm going to go Chelsea, most overrated right now. Uh, I think that 3-4-3 has its weaknesses. And Mourinho did show that with Ander Herrera picking up Eden Hazard. What Conte needs to do for next season is build another playmaker out of that team, whether it is changing system, whether it is getting rid of Hazard. You know, it's going to be interesting whether it is moving to a 3-5-2, a DM playmaker as well as a central midfield playmaker, or you get one of those central midfielders, either Kante and Matic, probably, you know, keeping Kante, aren't you? Drop another central midfielder in there that can playmake as well as having Hazard in the side. In terms of most underrated, I'm going to go with Real Madrid because Zinedine Zidane and Real Madrid at the moment I'm getting the credit they deserve. They deserve a lot of credit because tactically they are perfect. And then there was another question I saw, but I can't find it right now from, um, I can't remember what his, the fella's name was, but he basically asked what, I thought it was Carlos. Carlos asked a question. Um, what sort of changed with your feelings of Zidane? I think I've just watched them a little bit more and I appreciate what Zidane's doing in a tactical sense. And Carlos Zaldiva as well, firing a question in, who's your favourite player of all time? Darren Fletcher, simple as that. And the final is finishing off with a question from Mark Goldbridge. Uh, who do you think Manchester United need to sign if going to win the Premier League this next season? Well, of course, it's a number 10 needed, either Griezmann or James. Uh, then obviously the centre-back, Goudin, Benucci, Varane, Jose Jimenez. Simple as that. But anyway, that, guys, that's been that for the Statman Day Football Podcast today. Thanks for listening apologies for no podcast on thursday my birthday and friday because i was a bit busy but thanks again for listening this has been episode 59 slash episode 60 two in one hope you've enjoyed it see you later over and out
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Market.